Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to 101 Part-Time Jobs, the podcast where I speak to bands about survival. And if they don't have any interesting stories about surviving, then I turn to plan B. 
and ask him intrusive questions about their personal lives and their music. So it's handy that Yard Act, James Smith and Ryan Needham have got some stories about old jobs because they've only got four tracks out and I didn't want to ask them questions about their personal life just in case they beat me up. But luckily, we got all the above and nobody got beaten up. So thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please do recommend it to a mate or review and subscribe to it on whatever podcast app you're listening to it on. Signature Brew are the official beer of 101 part-time jobs. They've been brewing music-inspired beers since 2011. Beers with Mastodon, Idols, Slaves, Sports Team, and a whole lot more brilliant bands. If you go onto their website, signaturebrew.co.uk, you can get beers delivered directly to your doorstep, which I'd recommend. And with the voucher code 101podcast, that's all capital letters, you can get 10% off your order. All right, here's James and Ryan from Yard Act. Their 7-inch is available now. Go and grab it. And go well. Cheers. What were you two doing sort of 15 years ago? What, what was going on? Were you sort of sprightly, sprightly musicians? I was, a, I was a young go-go. I was 15. Uh, so, yeah, I was... I was GCSEs going into sick form, dead excited by all music. I was playing in, you know, bands myself. I probably just got out of covers, covers phase, uh, working on originals with uh, <laughs> the, lad, the lad who lived on the next road, uh, Ben Dawson. He was the bass player. I was the drummer, and our friend Joe uh, was the guitarist and singer. Can you remember any song titles from that time the, of our band? Yeah. Yeah, we had one called... Uh, what was the band called, first of all? Oh, I'm not giving that away. I don't want anyone looking at my past. <laughs> We're quite good. I've, every band I've ever been in has been championed by Steve Lamack. Hopefully this Brilliant. one's going to fare better. <laughs> Championing being, being played by Steve Lamack. I mean, that's a that's a, a sign, isn't it? That's a, that's a seal I, of approval. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, this was back in the days when he was on Radio 1 as well, which was like mad right. to think now. Um yeah, we were playing. We were just bumming around. We ended up, you know, we played on shows with like forward. It's funny now because I teach, I teach uh, one of my uh, smooth, smooth transition. One of my uh, jobs now is is music teaching, and I teach whiskers from Forward Rushers uh, kid, and uh, we played shows with Forward Rusher, and uh, we were just like little teenagers hanging outside, really excited. And they gave us like bounty bars, and we were really excited about that. And like they gave us bounty bars and free warm carlins. We we just like it was like yeah, like one weekend we just went to fucking. We drove down in Ben's mum's car to play in Hereford. Hereford's like four and a half hours away, and we just crashed on a mate's sofa, like not a mate, like a like a MySpace mate's sofa. Yeah, yeah. And, and like it was just shit like that. We drove to Edinburgh for one gig once, like, and we would do, we'd get paid fuck all, and we were just like, we just all chipping money, and petrol seemed dead cheap there, and we just had Ben's mum's big car, so we just did it all in that. Um, did you always get bounties, or was it just that one? No, that's just what Forward Russia gave us. All oh, right, other bands gave us nothing. Other bands gave us class A's. It was it it varied between bounties and coke and and nothing <laughs> it's brilliant to be in a place where you know anything could make you excited excited you know allowing yourself to be excited by anything well, yeah but we thought you know what i mean it's funny now like you know like we just thought like you read you read about them in the enemy and then and then you saw them on stages and i'm sure maybe young people feel the same about 
idiots like us now if they see us the first time and they think oh my god these people are in bands but you know once you start doing it the illusions you know the fucking facade drops and you realize how fucking rubbish it actually most of it actually is and that, that no one's got any money and everyone's kind of just like slogging it around in the van stinking um, did you have local people that you know local bands that you looked up to uh well i was from warrington there was a really good band. We were kind of the big band in Warrington, but <laughs> no, you weren't. We were. There was one. There was one <laughs> band better than us, and but the, called Bill Davro and the Popes, and they were really good. And then the other <laughs> band, actually, uh, sorry, I'm just like I feel like Abe Simpson or something going on here. <laughs> like Warrington, even Warrington had like a really buzzy scene. Um, who else did we, in Manchester? It was good. I was taught by. I was taught drums by Grenville Harrop, who was the drummer in Cherry Ghost. That was pretty cool. Were they like Twisted Nerve band? No, they were heavenly. They had oh, like, that... only Ivan Avello for that song. People help the people. And if you're homesick, give me your hand and I'll hold it. They were well good. They've just made a comeback. <laughs> and you could kind of you could see him, you could like ask him about, I don't know, how it works and yeah. how he how he does it. Yeah, well, I was. Well, I mean, it's like he actually left when he joined Cherry. He stopped teaching at the school I went to when he when he uh, when Cherry Ghost got signed, and he was kind of brought in as a sort of session player or whatever for them. I think it was mainly Simon, whatever his name is, his project. But uh, before that, he was, he played he played drums in this amazing. Uh, there's this guy called Edgar Jones Jones from Liverpool. I don't know if you've ever heard the name. Brilliant name. Oh, his band's called the Joneses. So it's Edgar Jones, Jones and the Joneses. <laughs> and he was like a sort of like doo-wop singer, like Scouse doo-wop. And um, Noel Gallagher loves him. Noel Gallagher always talks about this album, Soothing Music for Stray Cats. Like, you know, like saying it's this unsung, like he's this mm. unsung hero. But uh, Grenville was the drummer in Edgar Jones, Jones and the Joneses. And he just be like, yeah, like, I realise now that he was just like completely stoned the whole time or just incredibly laid back while he was teaching kids. But he was ace and I absolutely loved him and he was a big influence on me. And I've, I've not seen, I've not spoke to him for over 10 years and it'd be good to let him know I'm still doing stuff. He was like, uh, yeah, man. He's just like, oh, he's like, I, I'm not around this week. I'm off to Japan with the magic numbers. And it'd be like, whoa, this guy's so cool. And then one day, like, you know, came in and he's like, James, this is my last lesson because I'm doing the band full time. I can't uh can't teach anymore. And uh it was actually really inspiring and it was just, you know, probably in a similar position now as a as a music teacher, like you get a lot out of teaching the kids and that, but you're still the whole time just trying not to do, not to do it. I think when you're when you're in a town like Warrington or any of these kinds of you know smallish towns, you know, yeah. kind of if someone's doing something that you really, if someone in a band is is going off and doing shit, I think that does leave a massive impression. Yeah, it does, and it yeah, and it just felt like I don't know. Yeah, it's it was big. I'm trying to think mm. if there's anyone else. Ryan, you must you had you must have you were a bit older than me at this time, right? You were playing in bands and that. Yeah, so. If we'd have met, it would have been weirder, a weirder age gap if we'd have met at the time because 15 and I would have been 25. Would have been a so We couldn't really have been mates. Would have been a bit. No, it would have been. People would have wondered what you were up to. Would you be going up to Manchester? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was playing in a, in 
one of those kind of uh, also ran uh, mid to, early to mid two thousands post strokes sort of bands. Um, yeah, yeah, played loads. Toured, we toured quite a lot with a band called Hope of the States. We had the same manager as them. I don't know if you remember them. So they were like post rocky Siguros kind of thing. So having having a manager, it must have felt quite funny, was it? What was your experience yeah. there? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was good. Well, and he used to manage menswear in the nineties, and he managed Lush. And stuff. Well, yeah, we did loads actually. We toured with like Razorlight. We toured with the Killers. Toured with Block Party three times. Like we did. Wow. We did like we only ever released one single, but we were for for a little while. We were like the the sort of go to support band of that that thing. You, you couldn't do that, and you couldn't release one single in twenty twenty one. That's but the man from Spotify would be having fits if you were doing triple support tours off the back of one. Yeah, single. yeah. Isn't that sort of one of the kind of um, sort of templates of it in a way? Kind of release as little as you can, so that when the record comes, you know you've you've got a lot of spotlight, a lot of shine on you. I think at the time we just didn't really have, we only had one song that was kind of worth, uh, you know, (laughs) worth putting out. But uh, yeah, we were just dead young. And like, like James says, you just get carried away with it all, don't you? And it's just all exciting. It was like, I don't know, I was probably like 19, 20 at the time, dropped out of uni and yeah, just met this big bulldozer of a man who came up from London and was like, I don't know, he was just, like super well connected it was just dead exciting and like, yeah I don't know just spent six or seven years getting getting pissed in a van and having having like a well good time but uh, it did seem like I've never had as fun a time music's never fe- I mean I know that's like your formative years music's never felt as ex- as exciting where everything's felt like a rush even though I saw so many like shit bands at, at the time that you look back and you're like oh god I bought a Spent ten pound on a t-shirt by this this band, like, and they were rubbish. But everything felt exciting. But I think I just think in general everyone was doing more. And past that, you know, five, you know, fast track five years later or whatever, when I sort of come to uni and that, I was way more involved in everything, had far better taste. But I didn't get that same rush off stuff as I did back then, which was interesting. It's interesting, isn't it? When you yeah. like vividly remember walking through the doors at a local place where I grew up near Milton Keynes and you know it, it didn't didn't matter who were playing you know walking yeah, through that yeah. door was like walking into a different world wasn't it yeah and, and you felt like four band lineups could be filled every night of the week and it was fine even though most of it was was a bit crap but it, people were doing stuff and yeah I don't know. when you when you say about doing stuff and you know Ryan in those years where your band was obviously doing a lot how how organized do you think you know each of you were in terms of everything from organizing stuff to looking at venues and sound checks and being on the emails, being on the phone. Were you doing that at the time? I think at the time I thought really organized and kind of, uh, uh, I just felt like, yeah, we know exactly what we're doing and yeah, regular phone calls with the manager and we had an agent and stuff. But like looking back now, I've been spent quite a lot of time doing it. It was just like, you I don't know. I clearly didn't have a clue. <laughs> like it's the point where it's worrying looking back that we were making the decisions that we were making that like, I don't know, just felt like looking back seems like, I don't know, just a bunch of children really. Like it's weird. But yeah, felt pretty organized. I mean, we got, we must've been organized to a point cause we went on tour and stuff. 
Yeah. We just always had like a tour manager and people kind of looking out for us as well. But were there any moments where you thought, fucking hell, this is like turning into a like a full time job? Yeah. Did you have it even that time to even step back from it and look at it objectively? Yeah, a, a bit. Well, that that guy that we had managing, is he, he kind of put us on a wage for a bit because he, he was getting, I don't know, there were f- various deals flying around and stuff. Um, yeah, we so we got like, it was like 100 quid a week or whatever. We were still all living in one house all together, um, just right. on one floor. And yeah, in Derby, it was for court, cost nothing to live. We lived on soup and... and yeah, like it was, it was well good. But we didn't didn't really need that much at the time, so we didn't really have to work. I think a couple of a couple of us signed on. Oh, and I did that. Uh, there was that new deal for musicians. I was doing that for a bit, which was good. Um, yeah, that was. Think think of all our favorite. You know, so many of our favorite bands, British bands from the nineties and and before then. You know, how many of them were on the dole? It's vital. It's just it's just universal basic income. They just haven't called it that yet. You know what I mean? That's all it is, and it, you know, and it, sh- and and they've managed to turn it into a stigma of shame, and it shouldn't yeah. be. And it's it's vital for young people to be on the dole. I think you shouldn't have to be thrown into a job where you're knackered out of your brain for forty plus hours a week, scared and terrified you're going to lose it, and that you've got no security or income. You know what I mean? Like, give people so time true. to figure out what they want to do. It was best- yeah. It was the best three months of my life being on the dole when I was 21. And they chucked me off it. They, I tried so badly to fail the job interview and they still still gave me the job in the call centre at Demodems. And it was <laughs> it was the worst. I tried so badly to fail it. And that was, yeah, they were like, you have to go for this interview or you, you know, or you lose your, you lose your benefits. And I was just like, you know, I don't, I don't want to. Yeah, I got really good, really good at failing interviews until I got. I ended up getting. A, I had to go for an interview at, um, at Nando's, uh, which where I ended up working. I'm giving the story away, but I ended up working there for ten years. But um, yeah, and like I'd fail, like failed loads of interviews, and like because you just pull in and go like, yeah, I need loads of time off because I'm playing a band, blah, blah blah, and like just being the worst candidate ever. But then I walked into this Nando's interview, and the guy that was interviewing me I had a strokes t-shirt on and he had like cool hair and uh and I was like yeah I need loads of time off because I'm in a band and this and that and he was like oh yeah well good I'm in a band like you can have like however much time if you need but I was like fuck um brilliant but and all the the chicken in the world all the chicken in the world but they were true to the word like it that was quite a good like yeah that was I ended ended up staying there for 10 years no you could have plenty of time off and so rare I mean, what you said, James, about everyone should be able to, you know, everyone should have that universal basic income and not feel the pressure. Yeah. You know, it's such a stigma to even say that out loud. Yeah, I know it is. I'm sure some people will think I'm like lazy or taking advantage of like people, you know what I mean? For saying that, like, well, that's not what the system's for. And it's like, the system's fucked anyway. Like, no one should be in poverty. We don't need anyone to be, you know, once we accept that most jobs are bloody going and 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 we don't have enough jobs to create the workforce everyone needs that support and also money's imaginary it's been invented so you know to make people suffer it's bullshit that hard work thing i know some of the hardest working people going and they don't you know what i mean they don't make any money they slog it it's not it's not true hard work doesn't equal money so like 
you know, ideas are worth tenfold and like hardworking industries and for people that need it, what care work and that and supporting people that, that need help, not just fucking slogging it in a shop for some fucking, for what's his name, the guy who owns fucking Topshop or whatever his name is, Philip Green or whatever his name is, or what's his name, that cunt from Sports Direct, Mike Ashley. You know what I mean? Like making people feel like they're worthless and they have to like grovel on these like zero hour contracts and get frisked to see if they've nicked anything when they come in and out it's bullshit like <laughs> yeah, rubbish, yeah. And everyone's scared everyone is scared of it oh yeah no i work really hard i work, i earn my money mate everyone's been tricked into thinking like that take the money and fucking run i say it's not real if you don't have any friends or family growing up that you know believe that as well it's, it's it must be so hard for so many people I think it switches. Yeah, it's changed between generations. Like, you know, yeah, my mum was always like, you know, you've got to get a job. What are you doing? Like, um, she's proper like, you know, hard work, hard work, hard work. But it was like, you know, it made me start paying like rent when I turned 18 and that. And, you know, paying my keep and that. It, was, it wasn't much, but like, you know, she's mm. like, you've got to contribute now for staying here now you've turned 18. So I took a year out before I came to uni. But... But then, like, you know, but then my dad was kind of like, you know, fucking, he was on the dole for it on and off for years. And he was just like, just fucking do it. You know, it's, it was different. And it was, but it was like, yeah, there was like that shame. My mum had that like sort of shame and that kind of like real pride in the fact that she'd always worked. And my dad, you know, my dad was the same. My dad always worked, but it, I just saw how hard they both worked. It doesn't, it doesn't equate to, you know, to being you can't work harder than 40 hours a week if you you shouldn't be working harder than 40 hours a week because you should be able to fucking enjoy your life doing things you want but also like you can't earn if you're on a low-paid job doesn't matter how many 40 hours a week you earn once you've paid your bills and your mortgage or whatever like you're not you're not you're never going to be able to put that money into anything really yeah yeah, what yeah. hard work means is being a risk-taking business person who gambles with other people's lives and then it pays off occasionally and then they swan around in a beamer in a pinstripe suit. <laughs> hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. My current uh, sort of job that I have now is I work as a screen printer, do like... Um, doing it for like five years so doing like gig posters and stuff like that it's called prince of thieves it's got uh, just a place in leeds set up by the drummer in the band called pull apart by horses i don't know if you know yeah. them yeah, yeah. yeah he's been doing it for 10 years and i've been there for like three yeah when i moved up to leeds eight years ago I kind of made friends with with him and i was still doing nando's i transferred from derby to leeds which is another good thing about that uh but yeah, just slowly started, became pals with him. Um, so yeah, and he kind of trained me up and do yeah gig posts and stuff. But um, I do like artwork for like other bands and stuff. Done some like you know like gig posters and stuff as well. It's well good. Ryan's works ace. 
if uh, oh, any fans then. are listening and want and want some design work done, Ryan's, <laughs> Ryan's dead good. And oh, how can they get in touch with you, Ryan, about that? Um, just like I don't know, like the band email, probably. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I'm not the best at selling myself. Well, this is the place. We'll do some training. Mm. When you know that band that was touring a lot ended, how did it feel? It just kind of dwindled out, really. We kind of missed the missed the boat with that, missed the boat with it, and um, I don't know. It's just like a kid, really. If, if, like looking back, it's, it, I feel like it was a different person doing that thing. Like, yeah, it's odd. I was just a singer in that band. I didn't write any of the music or anything like that. Uh, I wonder, you know, talking about these kind of mental, I suppose, psychological elements of 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 feeling like you know you have to work something you you fucking hate and 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 that stuff. Do you feel like you learned that you could make something, you know, make yourself a pretty good situation? What in terms of doing like something creative or? Yeah, you kind of made your own job description. You know, you did something that was you. Yeah, I think so. And like. Well, I don't know because I've never played an instrument. I never learnt music. I was just same as James was saying. It was like finish finish school, college. I, I went straight into work. I fitted windows for like years, and then well, for three years, not years. Uh, and three years and, is still a fairly long time, isn't it? Yeah, and then I like all my mates went off to college and uni, and I was like, and so I'd go and visit them at uni every weekend. I'd be up to Liverpool and down Cardiff and. Uh, can't remember where the others were, but yeah, I'd go away every weekend. I was like, these people are having fucking loads of fun. It was weird because I had tons of money, uh, you know, not tons of money, but I was fitting when I was only like 300 quid a week at like 17, 18, 18. Yeah, that's a lot yeah. for a teenager. Yeah, they were a year. We had some dodgy deals on the side, but I'd go every weekend away to like yeah Liverpool and down to London and meet, see my mates and they were having an amazing time. So I was like, oh, I need to go back. So I went, I ended up just like quitting that and going back to college and I started doing A-levels. And then, so I did them, but halfway through, there was some like lads who had a band and um, their drummer like broke his wrist. And I really wanted to like, I knew I could sing because I just was like singing along to, I was well into music. Like I basically just lied. I said, because the drummer broke his wrist and I was like, oh, I can play drums. And I, I think I'd even convinced myself that I could, that I could probably do it. I'd never even touched a drum kit or any instrument before. And I went to the like band practice, and I even got to the point where I was sat behind the drum kit, and I, and it was like, right, we're going to play. And I just, I just thought, and I, and I had to go like, I'm, I'm really embarrassed, but I just like, I was lying. I can't do anything. But then we ended up, <laughs> I had to go and sing in, and then it, it was good. We just did some like acoustic thing, whatever was around at the time. I don't know what we would have done stereophonics or something and then uh but yeah then i then i just just knocked about with them for a bit and that's when i got into into like doing music but yeah i'd never i'd never done any of that stuff before so yeah finish so yeah then i went off to uni and started a couple of little bits and bobs and met some people and yeah kind of found a bit of a a thing doing that but still felt like super impostery because i'd never never played Never learnt an instrument before, so yeah, I kind of I did form my own little world, but it was through bullshitting and <laughs> accident. I think. Did you, you know, doing that like window fitting job, which is a hilarious job, or at least the idea of it is is funny to me. 
you know, was it was it all right? Was it? No, it was good. Um, worked with a couple of good guys. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I guess I probably looked a bit odd doing it. They all used to call me Jarvis, <laughs> maybe, which the joke was probably a, a bit old even at that point. It's like, <laughs> uh, yeah, just skinny indie kid fitting windows. But um, we used to like I had to be there at like seven in the morning, get picked up by this mate that I worked with, and then. It was a bit older, and we'd go stop up at the like the travel cafe thing, get sausage and egg butties every morning, go and load up, and then go to people's houses and fit windows. Yeah, it was. I, I really enjoyed it, but uh, it was only seeing all my mates going off and just like literally just partying all the time that made me go like, I think you can just do something else. You don't have to do this. I've been, I don't know, I've been sold short. <laughs> I think a lot of people have that, you know, when they see that. I, I, I did that. I went to uni late. And when my mates were going to uni, I was like, fucking hell, I've missed out on something here. Yeah. It was yeah. sort of affordable living, almost, it seemed like. Uni's kind of like a like a doll that should be for everyone. But now it's just for, you know, uh, people from the right background or well, more so. I think that's why, like, even vocational subjects and that at unis, which, like, are great, even though a lot of people don't think of them as real subjects, like media studies or whatever. Mm. They are. They're vital and they create industries. The course itself doesn't lead to a job. That's what the individual has to go and do and pursue. And, and you know, that's why they need the that's why they need the time and the money to be able to do internships and stuff and make connections and, 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 and you know, scrimp and save and get by taking chances and and i do feel like that gets taken away from people now and a lot of people don't even get the privilege to go to uni and i think it's just you know it's like again it's all it's all designed because it's all designed to get you a job at the end of it so people think well what's the point of spending all that money if it's not going to lead to a job but mm. it defeats the point like life isn't shouldn't be about getting a job <laughs> Like it shouldn't be the end game. The end game shouldn't be getting a job and earning lots of money. The end game should be doing interesting things and meeting interesting people and having new experiences and finding something you love and doing it because you love it, not because it's because you have to and you're stuck doing it or it'll make you more money so you can live a better life on the weekends. But, you know, be knackered all week. I don't know. I often think it's heartbreaking, you know, obviously doing this podcast is I often think people who are stuck in work and don't have a choice, you know, it is heartbreaking, you know, people who have been in you know, great bands or have been great artists, but then unable to do that full time. Um, yeah. You know, and especially in the last year or so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's always that thing, isn't it? We talk about like, you know, I'm advocate for universal basic income. Imagine if everyone didn't have to worry about rent and bills. The amount, the amount of great musicians that would just come out of the woodwork because they've not got to worry about the basics and they'd be happy to live on so little. And if it picks up later on and they start to de- develop a fan base or whatever and make make revenue off what selling whatever, then and then they get money later on. But that wouldn't be the reason they were doing it, and that wouldn't be the drive. They just, I just think you just get more out of people when they're not totally set on just surviving and getting by once people you know it's like the hierarchy of needs thing in it it's like once you're at a point where you you know you've got food shelter and water what are you gonna do mm. next you're gonna devote your time to you know creative ventures and thinking from what from what i've read yard acts sort of started a little bit like that you know being housemates and having that 
time. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was yeah. Right, that was out the door, wasn't it, Ryan? When yeah. we moved in, we were like a bit like the monkeys, a scaled down version of the monkeys. <laughs> um, Brilliant. I know. I know it's different for everyone, but having that time in the lockdown to write music, I've I felt create. I know some people felt the opposite and they felt stifled and they couldn't. They got writer's block, but I was the opposite. I was like, oh my god, I've got the whole day to just think about everything going on in my head and put it down. And that yeah, was, and I don't know, like. You were sending me so many demos, Ryan, and I was just like, yeah, I can write a song about that. I can write a song about that. I wasn't stressed about trying to get it finished before I lost the idea and had to go back to teaching or whatever. A lot of the time, my best ideas come, and then it's like, you've got you've got to do this stuff now. So you're like, shit, I'm going to lose the idea. Then the good ones are still around after you've done six hours of something else and you realize yeah, you still yeah. remember them. So that's kind of just part, part of the course, I guess. Well, I think that was a good, I think it was a good a good cushion for a lot of people that that do have some kind of creative elements to their life because it was kind of a thing where you weren't, I don't know, like my partner, for example, did a, she works for a promotion company and does events and stuff and she's always uh, like 100 miles an hour the whole time and for her it was just absolute hell going from like 100 miles an hour to zero, like dead quick and it was, yeah, there was like nothing there to sort of, fill the thing and it was it was like really awful but yeah like with the doing the creative thing it was like like okay i can't go to work anymore but i'll just fucking keep steaming ahead with this and it yeah it, it, it kind of propelled it didn't it james it was just writing tons and tons but i think having that was like i don't know i felt so fucking lucky for, for like having that to be able to do had you had a period of time before that because you know, you were both in bands before that, Ryan Menace Beach yeah. and and James Postwar Glamour Girls. Did you have you know times you know between that band and starting this this one? You know, what did that period of time look like for both of you? Did you did you go to work more? Mine was pretty much the same. I always i i kind of always i i committed after after the call center job at Demonhams after I. After I finished that, I, I started teaching music at a local community space and just loved the flexibility of it and committed to being self-employed at that point. Um, so I'd always be free to do music when opportunities arose. Well, I used to work nights at this uh, at the call centre, so I never spent any money. And I was on quite a good wage. It was like £11 an hour or something. Um so I was working 40 hours a week um, for three months and not not spending a penny apart from on bottles of whiskey because I was quite depressed and I was just I was buying the expensive whiskey from the waitress. Um, but apart from that, what was I the expensive one? Uh, it were like a 15 year aged uh, Johnny Walker, not not mega posh. It was about 30 pound a bottle, I think. Uh, and but my treat was like two of them when I got in at night. My housemate Slater used to call me Boggis, you know the farmer from uh, <laughs> from Fantastic Mr. Fox, because because uh, I used to have this old barber coat and I used to get in from the call center and I'd take my shirt off. Well, I'd unbutton my shirt, but I'd have like a like a vest on underneath because it was winter. Nice. And I'd sit with my whiskey in this leather armchair that was in the house. In my barber jacket with my vest on, drinking white shirt, unbuttoned. Yeah, white shirt, unbuttoned with a vest, <laughs> a white string vest, and my barber jacket. 
And I used to drink. You can't I, go anywhere with one of those jackets without, you know, smelling it. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was waxy. It was a waxy <laughs> sensation. And he'd come in and he'd be like, "All right, boggis," and I'd be like, "Fucking boggis!" But, uh, but I took it. Uh, so anyway, apart from whiskey and one wax jacket, I uh, basically had loads of money, and uh, I just decided that if I could, I, I kind of saw that if I took this job and was completely free to take on any new student whenever someone wanted a lesson. And I had no, I was like, I was like, I'm free seven days a week. And I worked seven days a week for about four years, really fragmented hours, like two hours on a Monday, half an hour on a Tuesday, four hours on a Wednesday, an hour on a Sunday. Um, And I took on a DJing job as well at the cockpit when that was open. And between that, uh, within within six months, I was like, oh, I'd like you. I'd lived off what I had left from the call center, and I had um, enough money coming in to to go off housing benefits. And um, off off the back of that, I was like, I'm totally totally free to to do music whenever an option arises. And there were offers that came in, like we flew out to Italy and did a show on a day. And then we had to fly back and, and then I was at work and it was like, but I could take the time off. That was all really good. But then like the rest of the band, it didn't work because the rest of the band all had full-time jobs and only had so many contracted hours. So I kind of spent a lot of time mm. stuck on my stuck on my Todd, you know, waiting for work. Um, I mean, that's another thing. I often look at bands, you know, in normal times, look at bands and think you, you've got to be pretty lucky to have three or four or even five members in a position to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's why collectives seem more popular now. There's definitely more of a sort, you know, like bands like Bodega and that. It's like shape shifting, different variations of the lineup. Like uh, Super Organism are another one, aren't they? They're like, I mean, I guess Polyphonic. It's quite fun as a fan as well, isn't it? I think that's quite. Yeah, it's interesting. I think if everyone subscribes to that notion, it's a good way of working and just accepting that you know, if we're not at that point where guitarists can't have a month off. We'll get somebody else in, but you know who's really in the band. Like you can kind of figure stuff like that out, I think. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where that happened. But then I couldn't really. I kind of that's when I made that decision to do it, and then all through that. Uh, oh, what else did I do? Oh, I used to, my wife. My wife was a like worked at Emmerdale, and so I got a job doing extra work on Emmerdale. So I used to be in the background of the wool pack. Did you wear your wax jacket? And I used to wear my wax jacket. They loved that. Yeah. The Randy Young Farmer in the back of the wool pack with his <laughs> jacket. But like on set, a lot of them wear wax jackets, but they've all been made to smell nice. Whereas mine was like a stinky wax jacket and they often smelt me coming. And um, <laughs> Well, I did that for a bit. Um, and then after, and then after post-war it stopped, uh, I actually just started a new band that didn't really do much called Cruel World. And we went on tour with Menace Beach, actually. That was kind of where mine and Ryan's uh, friendship really got going. But that was like, we barely even did out. But I kind of just... and then Oh, yeah. And then I took on a support worker job as well. I worked with uh, a, a teenage boy who's become one of my best friends. And I still do that now. Uh, and that's like my other main job as well as teaching now. Um Amazing. But but I'm also like I, I I like that I can in times like this, I'm like head down working as hard as I can, so I've got a cushion of money so that I don't have to work harder in the future if I don't want to. I like the freedom, even though it's a bit 
it was a bit of a white knuckle ride at times and there were months where I had no money. Like summer holidays, I always find all the kids just went away. Kids just go away to Thailand for a month now, like not on their own with the with their families, obviously, or whatever. But whole summer holidays, it's like six weeks without income. So you learn to sort of budget and that, and there's the peaks and troughs, and you kind of realize if you take on two new students, you don't kind of count them as part of your income because there's somebody else might just drop off. You know what I mean? Whatever you're earning, you're not really earn. whatever you earn on your best month, that's not what you're earning. You grow up quite a lot between the ages of what, 18 and 26. Do you know what I mean? And it's interesting how, you know, your mind, you make up your mind on certain things like that, or, you know, you, you come to something, you know, an agreement with yourself of how you want to do it. Yeah. If you see what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, completely. And that, and that was, that was a big, a big thing was, yeah, I just made that commitment and I realized that that worked for me. And a lot of people, it doesn't, they want, security they want a steady wage they want to know where they are at the same hours every day and they want to know they've got the weekends free um mm. but for me it didn't work i've always been but i've always also been striving to that freedom where i never have to work you know which is why i'd be well happy to make loads of money in a band not so i could be rich and live in a big house but so that i'd know that i never had to work again in my life if i didn't want to i'd like that i'd like i'd like to see what opportunities were open available to me if i wasn't bound by routine you know that freedom can only be afforded by financial security um so that's what yeah but and if, when you look back what's the what's the what's the kind of like roughest time of your life in terms of work i don't know when you were just saying that james i was just thinking like i don't know i, I think i've been so indoctrinated into it that i i don't even think it's that i just fucking i, I really enjoy working like i love my job now i like I like being knackered at the end of the day. So yeah, like there's not been that many, that not that many shit jobs that have like that I've hated. I, I quite like working. Like I, I always have done. And I'm not saying that was like some fucking working class badge of honor. I just I, I think I like the distraction from my brain and problem solving and and, and stuff. Like I don't, I don't know. I've been too much free time is it's not not great for me but like mentally really unless it is like right you've got you're on holiday now and you can just get pissed all day every day like that's well good before working at soho radio it was a bit like i hadn't yet worked for a, a company or an organization that i agreed with that i actually kind of understood um that's vital though isn't it like that's what i mean though I, my my biggest gripe is working for people that don't deserve to be taking your money off you like that's what and you know it's i'm all about hard work like as long as it's on your terms like that's what yeah, I yeah. about people just being milked by a machine that doesn't care and exploits and that's what that's what really grinds me and that's what i think is the biggest like trick on on the british public on the british working class is the idea that like hard work pays off and that you you know you're if you're not working you're 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 lazy or you're a fool because it's just like everyone is caught trapped in this machine making money for exploitative most people are working for exploitative people and and that and that gets me that people get stuck in that because i just think a lot of people could achieve a lot more if they weren't trapped in in the cycle of not falling into poverty or being in poverty and trying not to fall further into it 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But hard work is is amazing and is important as long as the hard work is for something that you care about. It's not for me to say how other people should live live their lives. So I apologize profusely. I don't mean No, that. but it's it's for you to say that other people should it shouldn't just be fucking people that are afforded the luxury to make those choices. Like that's the thing about the universal basic income thing, I guess. Like it shouldn't be just rich people that can pick and choose yeah. and they're like, Oh, I want to do this, I want to do that. Like if, if there was that thing that was taken away, that like you're not going to be homeless within a month. If you yeah. decide to try something new, like, because people from, from council estates can't do that, but people that aren't, you know, people that where the parents can pay for the, well, or help them out or whatever it may be. But I don't even think that like schools find that spark in kids. And so straight away, kids just like, we've got to get a job. Cause we've got yeah. To yeah. It. And then like, I just think that, you know, you think most people, like, they're working in jobs they're not asked about. They would find something they were really fucking passionate about and do it all the time if they had the time to figure out what it was. And that starts young, but it can un be unlocked at any point in life. I realised, James, we were talking about uh, sort of different points. I wasn't suggesting that you were saying people shouldn't have to, like, work or whatever. Oh, no, I know, I know, but we've we've had this discussion many times in the pub. It just sounded like I was saying I like working and you don't want to ever work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but, I mean, in itself, this is the whole thing of, like, uh, you know, this is the argument of, like, the stigma, like, the protectiveness and then the fear of, like, being called out for not wanting to work and being lazy and not being a part of the backbone of this country versus, you know you know, me saying like nobody should work, which isn't true because if doctors didn't work hard, we'd all be dead. <laughs> Saw someone I half know kind of was doing something about wave energy and, you know, new ways that we can, you know, use sustainable energy. And it's obviously a huge fucking subject. But if you get a kid who gets excited about ripping apart his toy and finding the bit that is the motor and then somehow, you know, using your imagination in a way that no one else has done before, um, which is something that you're not, again, you're sort of told not to think in school. You're told that everyone thinks the same fucking thing. Um, you know, it kind of opens up the unknown, doesn't it? For for good, for the yeah. good of the planet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel, yeah. And you just don't know. Someone doesn't, like I say, ideas. You don't have to have complete understanding of the mechanics of something to have the idea that could change it. And, and I think um, in the ideas department, a lot of really bright people are being suppressed who could who could actually solve the world's problem and then you know and then it could be facilitated by science you don't know what people you know you don't know what anyone is capable of and a lot of bright minds are crushed and they could figure out a solution to how to you know you know there was that termite that eats plastic and it's like ace like how, <laughs> yeah, do, we, how yeah. do we get millions of termites like you know, I'm not. I'm yeah. not calling the the working class termites. <laughs> yeah, that's not what I meant. Yeah, I do, I don't know. I just think yeah, I just think people are way more capable of, than clocking in and clocking out, and whether they, you know, and you also can't weigh up what their contributions are. You can't weigh up the importance of what writing a fucking stupid indie rock song has on people. That can, you know. Ryan, you know, Ryan's old band, that song might have caused a beautiful moment in someone's life that changed it profusely because it was on the radio at that time. Or they might, you know what I mean? There's Absolutely. We shouldn't be shy about yeah. that, saying that as well. Positive creation. You know, I'm not uh, ashamed of that. I, I wasn't suggesting it was rubbish. 
<laughs> it saved someone's life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it could be. It could have yeah, been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, it's you forget how important it is to some people. And and also I hate the idea that, that people are so devout to music, but they never feel they could make it themselves. Like, you know, mm. I do believe everyone should be trying to find how to create and figuring it out for themselves. Um, well, it's been, this has been a real food for thought. Chat. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much for it. No worries. It was like a 2am round the table sort of chat. <laughs> this, is, this is just me and Ryan in the van. Just, <laughs> just got in the van with me and Ryan after eight cans. This is the same conversation we have over and over again. Um, what, one thing I would say about uh, the, the struggle though, from a musical perspective, you know, trying to sort of, you know, me and Ryan still doing it at the age we are, I think it is quite character building and it does give you a way better perspective on what you're doing and why you're doing it rather than being snapped up at 18 and only ever knowing success, you know, um, Mm. that in itself. So I think that everything that happens just happens and they're all, you know, they're all just choices you make and they're all just opportunities that you either receive or you don't. But I think it's important that everyone always has the chance to pursue those things. Um, have you ever de- have you dealt with the kind of anxiety of that of being like you can't control everything? Yeah, well, I mean, we're at, we're having those talks now. We're figuring out how the next two years are going to be for us, based on you know potential options. We're working out how to how to manage this band, you know. At what point do we mm. jack jobs in? Like it's all, they're all discussions that we're having now that are very likely for the first time in my life, you know, for the second time in Ryan's going to be, you know, possibilities. And we've, we've got to weigh that up. We've got to say, what are we sacrificing? The risks, you know, it could flop. We could just bomb. And then we've like chucked our jobs in and what happens? Like, you know, it's a gamble, but I reckon the gamble's worth it when you've been trying to do it for this long just to see what it's like. And just because I'd love that freedom to just be able to make albums all the time and just not, you know, not have to worry about going to work. And I'd still go and do other stuff as well, but... You're more equipped now than you ever have been. Yeah. Do it. And I think that's why, you know, and it's a way more modern thing, this, uh, but everyone does have different jobs and everyone has loads of different jobs and people hop from different sectors and that. Um, and I do think that's a positive, you know, there's no, there's no, there's very little sort of loyalty to companies and bosses, which they've brought on themselves. But I don't think that's a bad thing because changing it up and shaking it up, I think it's ace if you were, a, you know, a police officer and now you are a primary school teacher, do more of that. So there you have it, Ryan and James from Yard Act. If you like what I'm attempting to do here, please let your mates know. Please send it on to one friend and tell them that they should listen to it. That would be massively appreciated. Thanks to Yard Act. Thanks for Dan for allowing it to happen. And thanks to you. Have a lovely afternoon. Here's Coxbarrow. I've been working all day for me, mate. This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast.